Rock Church Online family, my name is Vince. I get the joy of being one of the online pastors on staff here, and I'm so excited that you're joining us here today for this message. If we've never met, it's probably because I'm our online pastor, and I would love to meet you in person. If you're ever in the San Diego area, shoot me an email. I'd love to connect with you. Today, I believe that God has a message for us about growing in deeper relationship and intimacy with God, so I'm really excited to share it with you today. A couple things I want you to know about me is that in 2014, my wife and I, Kira, we moved from North Carolina all the way to San Diego, 2,500 miles. We'd never been to San Diego before. We didn't have a car or a job or a place to stay, but we were following God's word in faith. We believe he was calling us to be in San Diego. It's been the wildest journey of my entire life, but following Jesus has been worth it. The second thing is we're going to show a picture right now of my beautiful family. This is my wife and my daughter. Uh, they are the most important people in my life. I just wanted to share them with you as any good guest speaker would so that you can see what we're doing. Before we moved from North Carolina to San Diego, I had a really memorable experience. So one of the things you need to know about me is that I love food. Food, it creates memories for us. We attach things to smells. And I remember the last time I had Mexican food in North Carolina. It was at a place that was my favorite Mexican place at the time. I thought it was pretty good. We were hanging out with some buddies before we made the big move. And I filed it away in my mind. This was a great experience. Fast forward six months later, we now live in San Diego, which is basically the taco capital of the entire world. And I know if you're watching right now, put in your favorite taco spot in San Diego. There's a lot of rivalries that are here. So now I have a new experience. I, I taste for the first time true authentic carne asada, the, the alabada with the pineapple cooking slowly with the, the crispy bits, the, the lengua, the tripa. It's changing my entire life. And today's story, in today's passage, we're going to read about a man whose past experiences had dictated to him what a certain standard of goodness was. And in one interaction with Jesus, one conversation, Jesus is going to invite him to take a deeper step in intimacy and a relationship. He's going to completely change what this young man thought was good. This story comes out of Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. We're going to read it together. It says, and as he was setting out on his journey, this is Jesus, a man ran up to him and knelt before him. And he asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Don't steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud and honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go, so all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Father, I thank you for your word that is alive, it's active, it's powerful and it speaks to us that even though this event happened over 2000 years ago, there are truths that you wanna show and expose to us today. So may our hearts be open. May our eyes and our ears be open to receive a fresh revelation of your word today. In Jesus' mighty and powerful name we pray, amen. So I wanna set the scene for you visually just so you get an idea of what's happening in the gospels. 
Oftentimes we see Jesus, he's out and about. He's doing his thing. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He's walking on water. He's raising dead people to life. And many times there are these interruptions where someone pauses Jesus or he gets stopped going from a meal or from a miracle. And to me, it seems like everything slows down in that one moment. And it's like all of the earth stops spinning and we see this interaction between the almighty king of the universe and one of his created people. And that's what's happening right here. In this story, we're seeing the invitation that Jesus is putting forth to this young man. Here's the big idea. Have you ever wanted a deeper and more intimate relationship with Jesus? Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe it's a pastor or a friend or a parent, and they just seem to have a closeness with Jesus. I know people like that, and I I want to grow even more in my love for God and love for the things of God. And I think Jesus is offering that invitation to all of us today. I'm going to give you three questions that I want you to ponder. I want you to consider your proximity to Jesus. Maybe you feel far from him today. Maybe you feel close to him. Maybe you and Jesus are like this. Either way, I want you to consider these questions in light of how close you feel to Jesus. Here's the first one. How are you approaching Jesus? Some interesting details about this story. You see, Middle Eastern men in the first century, they didn't usually run. They wore these long robes and they had these tunics that if they were going to run, they had to hike them up and it would expose their legs. And that was considered undignified and childlike. Now, I'm wearing my joggers today. I don't mind showing a little ankle every now and then, so I'm okay. I'm in the clear. But for them, it would have been really shameful. And so we see that this man is booking it, trying to get to Jesus. The other thing is that he kneels before him. And that shows a level of respect and honor. I remember the first time I met my wife. We were at a college party. It was the beginning of the school year. It was the end of the summer. And I'm playing this game. Basically, it's like a giant slip and slide with a football. And I see my wife off in the distance, my my future wife. And I'm like, that is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. I got to talk to her. But I'm covered in soap. They basically put baby oil and all of these things on the slip and slide to make it crazy. I'm covered in grass. I look a hot mess, not the way you'd want to approach your future spouse. But I was like, it doesn't matter. I'm desperate. I see her and I don't want to let this opportunity go to waste. And so after the game is done, I go up to her and I just go with this passion and this intentionality. I'm like, I got to know more about you. I got to know who you are. I ended up asking her out that night multiple times. She said no. Long story short, we ended up together. But I wonder, how are you approaching Jesus? Do you have an intensity and a passion that you're willing to do something that maybe looks undignified or even childlike to say, Jesus, I got to know you. I got to be closer to you. What's it worth it to you? Are you more concerned about how people view you when you're going after Jesus? You see, I think that we need to understand that the way we approach Jesus says a lot about us. And this young man in the story, he's recognizing there's something about Jesus that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get closer to him. Now, here's my second question. What title have you given Jesus in your life? I remember on September 3rd, 2018, at 2.15 in the morning, I was given one of the greatest titles that I could ever hold. 
You see, I was already a son. I was already a pastor. I was already a husband. But at 2.15 that morning, I became a dad. And when I received that title, my entire world changed. Everything about what I thought I knew about wanting to be a father one day, everything shifted when I, I held my baby in my arms for the first time. What title have you given Jesus in your life? There was nothing more that I wanted to be a dad because I knew the responsibility and the weight that came with being a father. You see, names are important because what you call someone reveals what you believe about them. What you call Jesus is of utmost importance. The highest title that you give Jesus in your life will reveal how you respond to his commands. I'm gonna say that again. The highest title that you give Jesus in your life will reveal how you respond to his commands. See, in our story in verse 18, the rich young ruler comes up to him and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in reality, Jesus was a good teacher, but that wasn't the full picture. Just like when I introduced my family to you, I put up a photo of my wife and my daughter. If I introduced my wife to you as my friend and my daughter to you as some toddler that I feed every now and then, yeah, that is true, but it's not the full picture of the story. It's not really accurate. Jesus was a good teacher, but that's not all who he was. What title have you given Jesus in your life? Is he your last resort? Is he Judge Judy with a, a, a gavel and he's ready to, to bring down justice in your life? Is he your grandma's savior? Is he the main character in a book that you read every now and then? Or is he what scripture calls him? I've got a list of what scripture says about Jesus. He's the alpha and the omega, which means the beginning and the end. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's master. He's savior. He's Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's our mediator between God and mankind. He's the good shepherd. He's the Messiah. He's the true vine. He's the way, the truth, and the life. What title have you given Jesus in your life today? Now, here's my last thought. This is one I want you to really think about. What's standing in the way from you following Jesus completely? I want to bring you back to our story. Our guy, I'm going to call him Rich. Even though he recognized that Jesus was good, he also thought pretty highly of himself. He says, Jesus, I know you're good, but I think I'm good. Jesus says, you, you think you're good? Follow the law perfectly. And Jesus begins to list half of the Ten Commandments that we read earlier. Those commandments, they, they showcase how we're supposed to interact with God's humans. All right, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother. These are the standards by which we're to interact with mankind. Now, what I'm about to say, it's not super holy, so bear with me. I love catching people in a lie. I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit petty. And when this man would have said to Jesus, yeah, I've kept all those, I would be there with my popcorn like, Jesus, tear him up. Read off all his sins. We know he's lying. I love seeing the creativity of liars when they're backed in the corner, especially when you know the truth. Pray for your pastor. I'm, I'm working through this with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus doesn't do that, right? If this young man would have stopped and thought honestly about his life, 
about even the interactions he had had that day, he would have known that there's no way he could have kept God's law perfectly. In fact, there was over 613 laws. There's no way he could have kept it perfectly. But yet, his, his viewpoint of himself was that he was doing a pretty good job. Let me read to you what Scripture says about man's condition before Christ. This is Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. It says, There is no one righteous, not even one, no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Later on in Romans 3, 23, many of you know this, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God or of God's glorious standard. And then lastly, in James chapter 2, verse 10, the author is saying that if you've broken even one of God's laws, you're guilty of breaking the entire thing. So if our standard before God is based on our own performance, you and I are in deep trouble. We can't outdo our bad with good works. And in his book, Grace and Eclipse, author Zane Hodges says this. This is about our guy, Rich, in the story. He was not good, of course, but he was self-righteous. And like all self-righteous people, he had lowered the standard of good to the level of his own imagined attainments. His own darkness seemed impenetrable. Maybe you know somebody like this. Maybe you're watching an NBA game or, you know, the Olympics or something, and you got a buddy who's like, I could do that. It's like, man, no, you can't. There's absolutely no way you sitting here on your couch could ever do what they're doing. They've trained for it. They've, they've done all of the sacrifice and the work for it. And when we do that, we lower the standard of what's good. We lower all the hard work that they've done. We also elevate us to the same level. And that's what's happening in the story. This man has lowered the standard of perfection, which is Jesus, and he's elevated himself to the same level. This man's concept of good was the problem here. And if we're honest, if you and I take an honest look at ourselves, it's our problem too. We create and we live by our own standards of goodness all the time. Let me prove it to you. You ever notice that when you're driving on the interstate, anywhere you are, anybody going faster than you is a maniac and anybody going slower than you is a grandma, right? All of a sudden, we've become the perfect driver. We've become the standard of driving, the standard of goodness on the road. If anybody cuts me off, you know, they're the devil. And if I cut somebody off, I, I didn't mean to do it. It was my first time, right? Or maybe it's not driving for you. Maybe it's just judging other people. You know, at, at least I don't drink as much as my dad did. Or at least I don't dress the way that she does. Or maybe it's more of an internal battle. Like, at least I don't watch as much pornography as I used to. You see, all of a sudden, we become the standard of goodness. We take our eyes off of Jesus and we judge ourselves either by our own performance or by the performance of other people. You know, the fancy word for that in the Bible is self-righteousness. You know what the Bible says about self-righteousness? It's worthless. Even Paul says in Galatians that if we could, by our own standards, be made right with God, then Jesus died for absolutely nothing. I'm here to tell you that Jesus' death was not in vain. So what are you saying, Pastor Vince? Am I not supposed to try to be a good person? Am I not supposed to work hard to, to love my neighbor? No, that's not what I'm saying. Those things are good. But if you today are relying on your own goodness to be made right with God, you're never going to be good enough. 
And I'm here to tell you that that's good news. If there's one thing I want you to remember today, it's that Jesus died not to make bad people good or to make good people better. He died to make dead people come to life. I'm gonna say that again. Jesus' death did not come, he did not come to make bad people good or good people better, but he came to make dead people alive. You and I, our sin here on earth, it separated us and it's, it's, it's brought death. It's brought physical death in some cases. It's brought spiritual death. It's brought relational death. And we need the death and the resurrection and the hope that Jesus provides in the gospel. Romans 6.23 says it so clearly that the wages or the penalty of our sin, it's death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want to close with this story. I want you to imagine yourself as a stellar employee, wherever you work at. Let's say you work at a retail store and you're there on time every single day. You make sure you don't miss a shift. You never call out because you wouldn't do that. You want to be faithful. You've got this great job. And for two straight months, you're there every single day. And at the end of those two months, the management comes around and they say, you know what? We are so pleased with your work. We got together and we decided to give you this gift. And they're like, wow, this is unbelievable. I, I know I like working here. This is great. And you open it up and it's your paycheck. Now, I don't know about where it works, how it works where you work, but I, I work for my paycheck. It's not a gift that they give to me based on what I've done. But I think a lot of us often think that this is what it's like to be in a relationship with God. I'm gonna keep working so that you approve of me, God. I'm gonna keep working to earn your grace. I'm gonna keep working to earn something from you. And it's exhausting, family. This is not the gospel. You see, if we're basing our right standing on what we've done with God, we're in deep trouble. This is my favorite part of the story. In verse 21, it says, and Jesus looking at him, loved him. Now, we don't know exactly how Jesus' body posture changed. We don't know how his body language shifted. This is my own reading into the scripture. But I would imagine that Jesus stuck out his arm. He put it on the rich young ruler's shoulder and he sighed. He gave it a deep breath. He looked into his eyes. Kind of like that parental sigh for any of you who have kids where you look at your kids and you, you know, I love you so much. Maybe I'm not about to approve of, of what you're about to do or, or maybe you're not going to completely understand this right now, but I love you and I want you to know that forever. And Jesus begins to deal directly with the heart issue that's keeping this man from following him. And this is what he says. You lack one thing. Now again, Jesus is being super gracious because this man lacked timing, he lacked humility, he lacked all kinds of self-awareness and Jesus narrows everything down to one thing. He says, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And the Bible says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. You see, Jesus was able to extend this radical offer to this man because he was God. And he knew that if the man recognized who was giving it to him, 
He would respond in faith, just like his disciples had done. Jesus made it clear, and he's making it clear to us today, that eternal life is something God gives unrelated to something a man does. It is a free gift. You cannot work for a gift that negates it being a gift in the first place. So today, I believe that Jesus is asking you the same question. What's standing in the way of you completely following me? Is it your good deeds? What are you tempted to lean on to think, yeah, this is it, Jesus. I worked hard for that. Didn't you see me at church this Sunday? I've got perfect attendance. Didn't you see how I, I, I helped that lady across the street? Didn't you see how I was reading my Bible and praying? These are the things that are going to make me right with you, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, it's only through my death, my sacrifice, and my resurrection that we can have a right relationship with God, to be restored and complete wholeness with him. So today, I, I want this check to represent that one thing. Maybe it's your wealth. Maybe you're having trouble placing your complete trust in Jesus because you've worked hard for it. Maybe it's your good deeds. Maybe it's an idol. But whatever it is, I, I want you to imagine that you're holding it in your hand. And that today, you're going to let it go. And you're going to say, Jesus, no longer will I let anything stand in the way of me completely following you. So family, I want to pray for us today. Maybe you've never surrendered your life completely to Jesus. Maybe you've never received that gift of salvation because you've been trying to work for it. Or maybe you have and you've been walking with the Lord, but other things have gotten in the way. Maybe you feel like it's your good works that you're leaning on or that Jesus is more proud of you or he loves you more because of something you've done. But I'm here today to tell you that's not true. He loves you so much. So we're going to pray together right now. You can just repeat after me. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that I never have to work for the gift of salvation. I tear up anything in my life that's keeping me from following you. I receive the gift of salvation today. And I choose to walk with you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.